Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. Well, okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Clearer Thinking Podcast. Here we go again. Hope you had a great weekend. Enjoyed the beautiful weather and that your week is going well so far. Also, I I just want to Thank all of those uh, of you who have shared a bit of feedback about the future of the podcast. Um, We're going to take all that under advisement as we think about uh, where the podcast is going to go and what it's going to look like in the future. Just so you know, it's not going anywhere soon. In other words, it's not going to just stop and end for those of you who really enjoy listening to these things. We're going to keep going for a few months anyway. Um, We're probably going to take the summer off. July and August, and then uh, in September, we'll see what happens. But uh, if you have any suggestions for us, again, please email Kate, office at gracevalleychurch.ca, share your insights and your uh, suggestions with her, and we'll throw all of that in the hopper as we try to figure out how to move forward. So anyway, uh, if you heard Sunday's sermon you'll know that we were looking at uh, Paul's conversion recorded in Acts chapter 9. And the first point I made was that in his conversion, and that in all conversions, God is the one who makes the first move. Now, obviously, we have uh, a decision to make about whether we're going to put our trust in Jesus Christ. We have to decide to repent of our sin and to turn from sin and embrace Jesus by faith. That is something that we most definitely have to do, of course. But I said that even though that's true, the fact is that conversion actually begins with God, not with us. In other words, God has to do something in us first if we're ever going to actually be converted. And that means, therefore, then, that God is the one who initiates conversion. We don't search for God unless God first comes and does something in our hearts to pull us toward him. Now, what I've described to you is what's is it's called the doctrine of effectual calling. Let me give you a, a technical definition of that doctrine for a minute. All those that God has chosen in eternity are called particularly by God, and this call is effectual in its power and outcome. Through the call of God, a sinner's heart is regenerated and her will is liberated. Because of this, the effectual call logically precedes conversion, the exercising of faith in Christ. Now, that's a a very technical and packed uh, definition of effectual calling. Let me give you a simpler definition. God has chosen some people to respond to the gospel with faith. Those people, when they hear the gospel, are enabled to respond in faith because God works in their hearts to do so. Now, this teaching is part of the doctrine of election. The idea that God has chosen who he will save and that his choice actually precedes any consideration of our faith. Now, let me say that again. Let me just say this again. The doctrine of election says that God has chosen whom he will save and his choice about whom he will save actually precedes any consideration of our faith. Now, According to our culture, that idea is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It is nuts, and here's why. 
in our modern context, the absolute greatest, most sacred thing in the world is personal, individual freedom of choice. It is everything in our culture. Uh, I grew up listening to 90s music. That's my, my era. And uh, there was a super popular remake of the Rolling Stones song, I'm Free, done by the Soup Dragons. You ever heard of the Soup Dragons? They were an awesome kind of English poppy band. Anyhow, you got to check it out on YouTube. It's, it's such a great song. Um, but listen to the lyrics. I'm free to do what I want any old time. And it says this over and over and over again. And then it says this. I'm free to do what I want to be what I want any old time. And I'm free to be who I choose to get my booze any old time. This is the modern anthem. Do what I want, be what I want, any old time. Now, that's what our culture wants to believe. Contrast that with the hymn that I quoted on Sunday. Tis not that I did choose you, for that would never be. My heart would still refuse you had you not chosen me. My heart owns none before you, for your rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love you, you must have loved me first. Now, that's, that's an even more often song. The lyrics are certainly way, way better, but I have to admit it's, it's a little tougher to dance to. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, I've been thinking. Grace Valley Church is a Presbyterian church, which means that we are part of the Reformed tradition. And that means that we understand and interpret the Bible from a Reformed perspective. That means that we believe and teach things like effectual calling and election. They are part of what we call Calvinism, which is a system of doctrine about the Bible that we subscribe to at Grace Valley. How many of us actually know this doctrine, this system of teaching? And even if we do know it and understand it, how many of us really know what the point of it all is? Like, what, what does it matter? How is it relevant to our day-to-day -day lives now. And so I thought, you know what? This is called the Clearer Thinking Podcast. I'm going to do a little series on these doctrines so that we can think a bit more clearly about what the Bible teaches. And that's what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do for the next little while is I'm going to go through what's often referred to as the five points of Calvinism, or sometimes referred to as the doctrines of grace. And I'm going to explain what they mean. I'm also going to explain what they don't mean because sometimes they get misrepresented and misunderstood. But then hopefully I'm also going to, to dive into why they matter. What in the world do they have to do with living today in our modern world? And so I, I kind of hope to accomplish two things. First, to help you understand important biblical doctrines better. And then second, help you see why knowing these doctrines is actually really important for living as a Christian in our modern world. That's the plan, Stan, and I hope you like it. Now, for the last part of this podcast, I'm just going to give you a little bit of history about these so-called five points of Calvinism. Some of you might be familiar with uh, something called the Canons of Dort, and this is a, a document that was produced by churches in the Netherlands centuries ago. 
to explain these five points of Calvinism that we're looking at. And the question is, why in the world was this thing even written in the first place? Well, it all stems from the theology of a guy named Jacob Arminius. Now, Arminius was a brilliant young man who became a professor at the University of Leiden in the Netherlands in the late 1500s. Now, at that time, much of the Netherlands was Protestant, of course, um, but also very Calvinistic in its beliefs. But in many places, it tended toward what you could call hyper-Calvinism. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what that means is, is, is pastors and theologians, they, they taught about God's sovereignty in a way that made God, made him out to look like some kind of tyrant. And human beings were kind of seen really as puppets that he just controlled completely. So there was this really strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God and on his power and on his majesty, particularly in his in salvation. And so his love, his mercy, and his grace was kind of lost in the background. And this really bothered Arminius, understandably so. He wanted to find a way to protect both God's power and human freedom, especially in the way that human beings were being saved. And so he developed a theology about salvation, and that, that is called soteriology, doctrine of salvation, soteriology. He developed it, and it consisted of five points. And not until his death, though, did his followers kind of codify these points in a systemic way. But those points became known as the five points of Arminianism. And so they, some, you could summarize it this way, partial depravity, conditional election, universal atonement, resistible grace, perseverance of some saints. And we're going to look at those in, in a little more detail as the weeks go by. But J.I. Packer, who is a, a, a wonderful uh, Reformed Anglican theologian, uh, he summarized those points this way. Human beings are never so completely corrupted by sin that they cannot savingly believe the gospel when they hear it. So that's the idea of partial depravity. Uh, conditional election was basically this. Nor are they ever so completely controlled by God that they cannot reject the gospel. Uh, Next, God's election of those who, believe, who shall be saved is prompted by his foreseeing that they will, of their own accord, believe. In other words, he's saying, so, so God looks down through the corridor of history and he sees those people who will choose to believe in Jesus on, of their own volition, out of their own desires, and so his election of them is based on that choice. And then, uh, the next one is Christ's death did not ensure the salvation of anyone in particular. Rather, it created a possibility of salvation for everyone if they choose to believe. And then the last one, it rests with believers to keep themselves in a state of grace by keeping up their faith. Those who fall away are lost unless they return again to the faith that they forsook one day. Now, that's a very quick summary of the five points of Arminianism, and we'll go a little more in depth into each of those as the weeks go by, as I said, but <clears throat> for now, let's keep with the history story here. Um, 
a group of Arminius's followers, they took the five points of Arminianism and they started teaching them in Reformed churches in the Netherlands. And that, of course, started causing a bit of a controversy against the, the hyper, hyper-Calvinists. And a synod, that's a gathering of Dutch Reformed churches, was called in 1618 to deal with a whole bunch of stuff, but especially this controversy. And so the followers of Arminius were present at this gathering, and they presented the five points of Arminianism, and the synod had to respond. And after almost a year of deliberating and writing, think about that, they spent almost a year on this, and then consulting and arguing and studying and rewriting, finally the synod of Dortrecht, that's what this meeting was called, they produced these canons as a rebuttal to Arminianism these canons of Dort. And this became the standard teaching of the Reformed churches in the Netherlands. Now, there were delegates to this synod from Scotland and England as well, and they were observers and advisors to that synod. And these guys, they took those five points back to the Presbyterian churches in England and Scotland, and then when the Westminster Confession of Faith was written, the Westminster Confession of Faith is our church's confession of faith, the concepts of the canons of Dort were included. And so our tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, holds to these five points of Calvinism in the same way that the Reformed churches of Europe do. There you go. There's a quick history of where these five points came from. Now, why are they called the five points of Calvinism? Well, it's because they are a summary of John Calvin's doctrine of salvation. Remember, soteriology. He didn't come up with the five points himself, right? These five points came much later, actually, through the Synod of Dort, but they summarize his understanding of uh, salvation. And it's not just his understanding of salvation. I mean, many Reformed people hold to these teachings and believe them, they're called Calvinist, uh, five points of Calvinism, because he was the one who first systematized it all together. Um, and that's why it's called the five points of Calvinism. It's not because, you know, it's unique to him in, in any way. Anyhow, so beginning next week, we're going to dive into these different teachings and we're going to apply them to the modern world. So if you're thinking, oh, this sounds like dry, doctrinal, boring stuff, Trust me, it's not. This stuff is super duper relevant to today, to right now, to our present moment. I hope to show you how and why. And I think it's going to be a fascinating, uh, a fascinating journey that we're going to go on together. So stick with me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you again next time. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye-bye.